Welcome to Queensway Pentecostal Church, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. Good morning and welcome to Queensway Church. For anyone watching online for the first time, welcome. My name is Pastor Katie and I'm the youth and events pastor here at Queensway Church. I'm glad that you're joining us this morning. And today we are well into our Blessed Are Those series. And today's main scripture verse is from Matthew 5, 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Looking at the word mercy in this verse, Matthew 5, 7, it means to be actively compassionate. Or it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is well within one's power to punish or to harm. If you live with other people in your household or if you've ever lived in a dorm or with teenagers, maybe you've experienced these small acts of mercy that you've maybe surrendered to these acts of mercy. And this is maybe one example that you've experienced. Have you ever gone to the fridge to get a nice cold glass of milk only to discover that whoever put the milk back put the container back empty? How dare they? Who does that? Come on now. That is, you know, you need mercy if you've ever had that happen. Um, Or maybe you've had uh, your car lent out to somebody and they've returned it with an empty gas tank. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. Come on now. Or maybe you've lived with someone who refuses to replace the toilet paper roll. No, that is so irritating. I used to live with four other girls in university and then that's always happened to us and the toilet paper roll would never be replaced. It would be so frustrated and then I ended up living alone and I realized it might have been me. But whoever is responsible for these wrongdoings such as these deserves justice served. Maybe a full body rage tackle. Justice is always at the right hand of mercy. Justice leaves us to deal with the consequences of our decisions. So you didn't replace the milk, I guess you're not having any cereal. You didn't fill the gas tank, well look who's staying home tonight. Or didn't fill the, or didn't replace the toilet paper roll, well enough said. But instead, in these cases we show generosity, we show mercy, compassion, forgiveness towards the committer of such terrible household crimes and we replace the milk, we find, we fill the gas tank and we replace the toilet paper roll, releasing the perp from what they had coming. These are just small fun examples of acts of mercy that we might encounter, hopefully not every day. But in Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable that you might be familiar with. And as we read through it, I invite you to use it like a pair of lenses, like a pair of glasses, to think about your own story. Think of this story as a way to process your own relationship with God. Here's the story. Luke 15, starting in verse 12. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be one of the, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Not a glamorous job. And he was longing to feed, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. This teaching, this, this is a parable that parallels Old Testament teachings. From Genesis all the way through, it's a story of, of Israel and their faithlessness or their faithfulness and the warnings that were in the prophets. The religious leaders who were listening to Jesus speak this at the time, they were familiar with the Old Testament stories. They were familiar with Israel's story, and they were familiar with the warnings that the prophets had. And so they're listening, and they're beginning to pick up on these patterns that Jesus is teaching. And they're starting to see their own story reflected in Jesus' words. The patterns of the prophets was that there was a sinful Israel who turned away from God, to celebrate independence or autonomy from God. And they end up getting themselves into all kinds of messes because they're living far from what they've been designed to and their purpose to, far away from God. And then they end up hoping that their God would come and save them, calling back out to their God. And the prophets warned Israel of their sin. They warned them to turn away from their ways and to return to God, that pivotal moment, that, that shift so that they could be spared from the justice of living with the consequences of their unfaithfulness. So here we see this story repeating in Jesus' words, the same story of the Old Testament, and Jesus is speaking it right here, and they would have been familiar. They see the same pattern. The son representing the faithful follower of Yahweh, or the unfaithful follower, and the father representing God. And the son, living under the rule of the father, decides to leave God behind. He goes to a faraway country. He decides to choose and celebrate his own autonomy, make his own choices, live his own life apart from God, and living how he wanted instead of how God has guided us to live. And we find that very quickly, he says, a reckless living is what he was throwing his property away, squandering his property. He finds himself getting into a mess very quickly. It says that he went far away from God, trying to find this independence and, and celebrate his autonomy from God. And, and he comes face to face, not very long after, with the consequences of his decisions. He squanders his property. He's demoted from this, this sonship to a hired hand in a foreign land. He's working with pigs, which is not a glamorous job. They are not a representation of the wealthy. They're dirty. They're smelly. And he's hungry, he's alone, he's far from God, dealing with the mess that he created. And amongst this mess, when did the son recognize his need? When did he recognize his need? Was it when he was living his best life and he's throwing all his stuff away? Like, this is the best, I'm so rich, this is amazing. Or was it when he recognizes his need at his lowest point? It's when he's at his lowest point, when he's at his lowest point, when he's got nothing, when he's got confused as to why the life that he thought he was living away from God was going to be this thing and it wasn't that, that great. He's looking 
at his lowest at this point. And when he's living with the consequences of his choice is when he recognizes his need for God. And not only that with his own choices, but there's some things that are out of his control. It says that there was a famine that came in that country, a situation out of his control, a seasons of dryness, of struggle and want, undesirable and messy. There might be people watching who find themselves in a messy and undesirable season. And maybe it's of your own making, or maybe it's something that's been completely out of your control. But this place, as we're going to find out quickly, this place of lowest point, of recognizing that, man, I need something more, or I need to come back to the Father. This is a place in the lowest point that's a pivotal moment. This is the shifting point. Could it be that God works in the messy seasons of our lives to lead us into a recognition of our need for him? Could it be that God intervenes in our mess? He leads us into a place that where we need to recognize our need for him. Here's the following verses. It says, but when he came to himself, when he woke up, when he realized When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. And he arose, and he came to his father, and but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Here we see that pivotal moment, where he comes to himself, he recognizes that, man, I've made a mistake He recognizes his sin against the father and staying where he was was not an option. He was perishing with hunger and he says, if I stay here, well, staying here is not an option. There's something that needs to happen that I need to return to the good things I had before with the father. He's staying here in the mess wasn't an option. He knows he's made a mistake and that father's ways are better than his own. He was celebrating his autonomy far from God. And now all he wants to do is to turn back to where his father's dwelling place is, where his father is. Towards the submission of the father and away from his own way. Because he found it so much better with the father than life his own way. That right there is repentance. The son was far away from God. He was in a far away country and he was celebrating his autonomy, his independence from God. And then he recognizes that he needs to turn back to the father's house. He needs to go back to where his father was. That's turning point is repentance. 
turning away from our old way and recognizing our need for God and turning to the Father. In the Old Testament prophets, the people would recognize their need for God. You know, they'd go off on their own. They'd find themselves in a mess. They would recognize their need for God. And then it would take several years for God to respond in the way that they were looking for. And so they would be calling out to God and then, and then questioning, Oh God, will you come through for us after all we've done? Will you come through? And in Jesus' teaching, the Father responds right away. He responds but, and he captures the heart of God to celebrate and to lavish with love all of the best to my son who's returned. He lavishes with mercy and forgiveness and welcomes him back. And this, this is the response of God for all, every one of us, even today, who turn from our old ways, our, our separation, our celebration away from God, which le leads to the mess that he was living in, the son, and back to him. This response is the same for us today when we turn from our old ways back to him, that we would be welcomed into his family with open arms and celebration because once we were dead and now we're alive again. Once we were lost and now we're found. Mercy is the heart of God for all who recognize their need for him and who turn back to him, all, all people. But what about justice? C.S. Lewis says that mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful, suggesting that with mercy alone, that everybody gets away with everything and there's no accountability, there's no justice served. And so how do, we, how do we balance those two things, justice with mercy? The good news is that for followers of Christ, justice was satisfied in God's greatest act of mercy. By God's own intervention, justice was served at the cross, and Jesus took the penalty for us on that cross so that we could recognize God's full mercy, that we could receive it fully through accepting his invitation to follow him. The imagery of the Father's complete forgiveness and welcoming back with celebration is our story with God when we recognize the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So what greater mercy is there? There's no greater mercy. I mean, as believers, we should be celebrating this. We've been forgiven. We have all mercy through the Lord. He took justice upon himself. Knowing how much we have been forgiven, just how much mercy we've been shown by the Father allows us to look at the world clearer through the eyes of Jesus and holds us accountable to show others that same mercy that we've received. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So how do we know if we are merciful? How do we know uh, and how do we grow in our capacity for mercy? I believe that number one, that we need to recognize our own need for God. We've been shown a great mercy, so therefore we get to show others mercy. I recently had the privilege of talking with someone close to me about what Jesus did on the cross for them and the invitation that he offers to all people uh, who believe in him. And I asked them if they wanted to accept Jesus 
uh, his invitation, and their question was, am I worthy? And I got the privilege, the incredible honor, to tell them that no one's worthy. <laughs> the beauty of following Jesus is that nobody is worthy. We all need Jesus. We trust in Jesus who makes us worthy through what he's done. And nothing that we can do or have done or will ever do, but through him. And so he makes us worthy. And that every single believer has the same need for God to forgive our sin and to help us to walk the life that he has designed for us and that he calls good. We all need God, not one more than the other, not some wild off sinner that needs Jesus more than you. No, we, we all need Jesus. Knowing how much we have been forgiven, just how much mercy has shown to us by the Father holds us to a new standard to show others the same mercy that we've received. And scripture takes it to the next level and it presents this as an instruction. Not a suggestion or not a nice thought, but a, an instruction. And he warns us against um, the justice of mercy without giving mercy. Of being shown mercy without giving mercy. In Matthew 18, it says the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, his children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, and I will pay all, it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, ease, uh, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. And when the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what the Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Wow, a powerful illustration. We have been shown mercy, shown a great mercy by the king. And so we are to show that same great mercy to others. I believe that in order to expand our capacity for mercy and to know if we're merciful, that the number two is that we, we need to get messy. The only other time that this specific word, mercy, was used um, in Matthew 5-7 was also used in Hebrews 2-17, only twice. Hebrews 2-17, it says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brother in every respect, talking about Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and uh, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
Jesus came alongside of our need. He recognizes the suffering of our sin while being sinless. He experienced temptation. He walked among us from being a supernatural celestial God to coming down, humbling himself to being human. He got messy with us, messy with real lives of real people in humanity. Sometimes it's easier for us to have compassion on someone when we've been there, when we've experienced their struggle, we've experienced their suffering, or when we're close enough to that person to see the struggle. So being willing to get messy with the real lives of other people in word and in action will grow our capacity for mercy. 1 John 3 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. James 2 says that if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We're called to get into the messiness of life. We're called to remember the poor in word and action. We're called to care for the widows and the orphans, to offer comfort and also to meet the practical needs of others. We're meant to get messy. Abraham Lincoln says that I have always found that mercy bears richer fruit than strict justice. Get messy with people. Matthew 9:13 says go and learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The fact that Jesus was a friend of sinners and he hung out with those with doubtful reputations is a model for us. That we can get messy in the lives of other people. We can brush shoulders with others who are different from us and come alongside of them. Finally, number three is to find our courage. C.S. Lewis says that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only under conditions. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. Wow. I love my job here. I love that I get the opportunity to meet so many people from our community, our high schools, and our public schools. Um, and they don't know God yet, but man, they have so many awesome questions. And they are being introduced to Jesus through conversations and, and encounters with our teams. I love that. And a conversation that I have quite a bit is, uh, the church, is about, often about the church's role in history um, not always being... Uh, not always doing the right thing or representing the will of God well throughout the church history. And to that, my heart breaks because I can see times where the church has missed opportunities to kneel with the hurting, the outcast and the abandoned, and they stay silent for whatever reason, most likely fear. And recently through, um, through the church and different movements, even this past summer, the church has become courageous to reflect and listen to the cries of the hurting. And this is a reason to be proud of the church. 
Jesus shows great mercy with courage in his encounter with the women caught in adultery. He had a lot to lose. He had followers who were following him. He was building a reputation. He had a lot of respect, and yet he was able to see through the situation, the hype of whatever was happening around him, to stand firm in his desire to have compassion and forgiveness for someone who was at their lowest point. Like Jesus' parable, the prodigal son, his lowest point became a turning point towards God. And so the church has a privilege to kneel down with those who are in their lowest point because lowest points are turning points towards the Father. It's our privilege to show that same mercy that we've received from God to others. Consider the mercy that you were shown. Allow it to sink in. Really reflect on it. Don't let that kind of just be a thought that passes, but reflect on it today. And consider how you might show mercy to different people groups. How you might kneel down with those who are in the red light district, in the gay community, to those who have different skin tones than you, to someone from another religion, to individuals and people groups who are different, dismissed, isolated, or oppressed. We have been and continue to be shown great mercy. And our response to others is to show that same great mercy, even when it takes all of our courage to do so. Finally, as a result, Matthew 5, 7 promises that the, the merciful will receive mercy. And not only do we receive this mercy by this compassion from others, and, uh, but also from, from God. Those who receive mercy will find from God a sparing mercy. From Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, I will forgive yours. Sparing mercy. A supplying mercy. Proverbs 19, 17 says that those who have pity on the poor lend to God and he repays. A sustaining mercy. Psalms 41, 2, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive and he will be blessed in all of the earth. Finally, end of days mercy. 2 Timothy 1.18 says the Lord grants that he would find the mercy of the Lord in that day. Showing mercy and compassion naturally feels good to us. We will receive mercy and we are blessed for being merciful and receiving mercy. Sharing and serving and helping, giving to others makes us feel good. If you're lacking, if you're feeling like there's something wanting in your life, volunteer at something that's maybe out of your comfort zone. Go to a, a shelter uh, maybe a soup kitchen, help at our kids' ministry, help at our junior high, something that is an opportunity to serve and help and give to others. Because those things naturally make us feel good when we can be merciful, brush shoulders with people who are in their lowest or even just in community with us. God made it that way. And we feel good when we do that. We are satisfied and excited when we can help someone else. Acts 20, 35 quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So finally, how do we grow in our capacity for mercy? We reflect and acknowledge. We recognize our own need for God. We show mercy to show mercy. We've been shown mercy to show mercy. Number two, be willing to get messy alongside others in words and in actions and number three, be courageous to stand with those who are in their lowest point 
because those are often pivotal moments towards God's mercy. When all is broken down and the question is asked, what do I need to do to please the Lord? Micah 6.8 captures it perfectly. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This morning, I encourage you, I hope that this has challenged you. Um, this morning, I encourage you to reflect this throughout the day. Reflect on your own uh, encounter with God. Uh, maybe reflect on the parable that was told as a prodigal son. And see where you are in that story. Maybe you're kind of doing your own thing. You're celebrating your autonomy from God. But recognize um, in the story the warnings that come along with that. If you're maybe at your lowest point and you're finding yourself... And I need something more. I can't stay here. I, w I can't stay here. Recognize and I encourage you to see that God's mercy and love is open to you. And we simply need to turn and respond to the open arms that God has for us. And to celebrate those things. So I encourage you to reflect on the mercy that you've been shown this morning. To see yourself in the story of the prodigal son and where you might be at. To be courageous and to be willing to get messy with others. I want to read this over you as we go. This is from Colossians 3. Lord, help us to put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us so we must also forgive. Lord, help us above all of these things to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And help us, let us, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we were called in one body. And help us to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in each one richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to you. And whatever we do, Lord, in word or deed, let us do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, thank you for today. Take and seal the work that you've begun in us. Lord, help us to grow more merciful with courage. Um, thank you, Lord, for your presence. Let each one who goes out be courageous this morning. We pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at qpcespanola.com.